my butterfly clip story is that because obviously there was a big trend of everyone would wear them in their hair and it was almost like you wanted to have as many as possible. Just fill your entire hair. And so that is literally what I would do. I would wear like 30 of them on my head. Do you remember just feeling like the shit? The shit. And so at school we were playing volleyball in PA and a ball came and it hit me on the top of my head and it broke like half of them. (gasps) Because yeah. they were so flimsy. Yeah. Sometimes, like, so I wasn't allowed to wear all of mine to school. Okay. So, like, the most I could ever wear at school is, like, I'd get part of my hair in the middle. Good little Catholic school girl, yeah. Have a little bits, like, like yep. roll up my bits and have two. Two, yeah. So, like, one either side of my head. Yeah. But when I would, so I remember this day, I don't even know what the context is, but I went out in the city in Brisbane because we grew up in Brisbane and my sister had put my entire head full of butterfly clips. <gasps> so I was just walking around like. Yeah, look at me. Yeah. And I felt really hot and I haven't felt attractive since that day. Josephine. How are you? I'm great. It's Friday here where we're recording. It's, it's not where you're listening. I love so Friday. I'm happy. It's episode. Oh, hello everyone and welcome to my favorite musical, the podcast. Hey. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. And we are your hosts. Uh, Ruth. Yeah. It's episode 31. Is that what you're about to say? It's 32. Oh, I put the wrong n- number down on my page. It is definitely episode you're 32. Right, it's 32. <laughs> <laughs> you Oops. idiot. Oops. <laughs> it's episode 32. I'm drunk. This, she's not, she's just having a moment. This is the podcast where Ruth and I, we talk about musicals and uh, and we talk about our favourite musicals. Yeah. I don't know where, we talk this, about general musical business. It feels business. like you were going to go into a whole spiel then, but no, that's pretty much it. I gave up on it. We talk to each other about our favourite musicals. Yeah, and we're up to our, our respective 32nd favourite musicals. Favorite musical. Yeah. Not that that's how it works, but you know. Do yeah. you have any apologies for us today? I don't. Me neither. Yeah, let's move on. What about your spotlight? So every week we spotlight, uh, I would say, like a, a minority in theatre. Yeah, marginalised Marginalised group or person in theatre. What have yeah. you got? So this week I wanted to talk about something that maybe even, you know, there might be more out about this by the time this episode gets released. Mm-hmm. But basically um, a production of, a professional production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch was announced um, in early November as part of the 2021 Sydney Festival and then it would be starring Hugh Sheridan as Hedwig and Casey Donovan as Yitzhak. Um, and that musical, for those who don't know it, centres around a character who is if not like overtly trans, is certainly like genderqueer yep. kind of thing. Like they've had a botched castration. Like There's it's no a whole, other way to interpret yeah. that. Yeah. So – it has previously been played by cisgender male performers, including John Cameron Mitchell, who wrote the piece, obviously yes. like originated the role and has gone. I, that's who I saw in it um, on Broadway a few years yeah. ago. And I think, you know, 20, more than 20 years ago when he wrote it, 25 years ago, at the time it was actually probably considered quite brave of even straight men to play, to play this role. gay characters, to play trans characters, yeah. like to sort of bring attention to this. But obviously it's 2020. We're living in a different world now. Very different. So understandably like marginalised communities are not expected to just remain silent about issues that matter to them anymore mm-hmm. as it should be, right? 100%. So after this cast was announced, like Hugh Sheridan is a cis male performer and um, after the casting was announced, like the overwhelming response from the trans and non-binary community was that it's it's 2020 and no genderqueer character should be played by someone who does not identify that way. Yeah. Um, basically like no cis actor should be a gatekeeper for trans stories essentially. So they, they also pointed out via an open letter that it's not just that Hugh Sheridan is a cis male. It's also that there were no um, trans or non-binary artists like on the creative team at Mm. all to consult or advise. Like it's also about being part of the conversation, right? Like, so even if you do end up casting someone who is cis, like it's about being consulted in the process because otherwise it's like, how can they speak to this experience? Right. Um, to make matters worse, Hugh Sheridan deleted all negative comments on Instagram, on his Instagram about like the people making about the production and, and argued with quite a few people, including trans people, about mm. their criticisms. Mm. Um, so on November 17th, the producers in Sydney Festival announced their decision to postpone the production. Um, and... 
And I do want to say that, like, I'm not celebrating the cancellation of the production as yes. such since there were artists who would have been employed after not being employed for such a long period. And I actually also, like, when I thought about it, I also – I don't begrudge the producers for – I mean, I, I sort of thought it was kind of a vanilla casting choice personally. Like, you know, I just think there are probably more exciting and performers to, to play that role, like – um, out there. But having said that, I don't begrudge their decision to do so, mm. but because, yeah, as I said, it was only on Broadway, what, like five years ago and there wasn't a big outcry at the time. Yeah. So I don't begrudge them for making that decision. I also have to say, I think that they've made the right decision to postpone it Yes. and I applaud them for doing so. And as I said, I don't, I don't celebrate the cancellation. It's not about that, but no. it's like, if, if a community is screaming out to be heard, we have mm. to listen to them. I actually, I'm a hundred percent with you because I think, yes, I don't celebrate cancel, like cancellation or cancel yeah. culture or whatever it's called. But I also think I love that we're in a, we're in a world now where producers will listen to that level. Yeah. And like, they didn't of, have to cancel the show. They didn't, they really no. didn't have to. No. Not that I'm here to like say that they're great, whatever. Yeah. But I think good. You listened and you took note. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And like they said in their statement that, you know, they wanted to assure the trans and LGBTQIA plus community that the issues raised are respected and taken very mm. seriously. Mm. You know, like it's good. Like they basically, and they also distanced themselves basically from the comments. Yeah, good. That had been made by Hugh Sheridan. I also just think like queer theatre, there's not enough queer theatre that let's not take over that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, until, exactly. Yeah. Like, and just because, just because something has been the domain of. Yeah cis people for so long doesn't mean it should be yeah. going forward basically yeah, that's sort of my agree. and you know people people's arguments against it are things like oh well um so what I can't play um I can't play someone with brown hair I've got blonde hair I can't play someone you know like that's such a shitty or simplistic like way I can't to play shit. I'm not really a lawyer I can't play a lawyer right like the, this is sort of people the way people say it, right they're like oh how that's dare acting you? like and how it's dare like, you compare being a lawyer to, yeah. to your entire fucking identity do but you know also, what I mean like it's also like okay but how many trans and non-binary people are being given the you know, lead yeah. roles in things are yeah. being given, you know, roles that would otherwise be played by cis yeah. people. So, like, why should the same be extended? And also, like, Hedwig is – it's about the experience of a trans person. Like, yeah. it's not just its not just a byproduct of the story that this person yeah. is trans. To be clear, John like, Cameron Mitchell actually doesn't consider the character to be trans. Like, just – Well, so at he, least genderqueer. Yes, that's right. Yes, like, it's about, it's about the disruption of the gender binary and but everything. But the entire story is about that. That's right. That's exactly. the primary focus yeah. of the story yeah. is that gender disruption. And the only – So you can't say it's just like, oh, well, th this character just happens to be genderqueer. Yeah. No, that's the purpose of the story. And the only reason I think that, like, John Cameron Mitchell doesn't consider that is because in the case of Hedwig, like, she doesn't choose to have – it's almost like she doesn't choose – to, to become to, a woman. Yeah, to like It's like it's almost like forced upon her so that she can get married to this man and then it all kind of stuffs up. Like whereas I think he sees like if someone's trans, it's like they've, they are basically like I believe I'm in the wrong, in the wrong like biological body yeah. and I'm, you know, going to um, yeah. confirm, you know, my my true gender. So so it, it is a different thing. But, yes, very much it's very much, as we say, like a genderqueer, like yeah. non-binary story. That's the point of the story yeah. and I do feel like too – those, those, like the lines that we're talking about now are very blurred and I think like I'm not qualified to to comment on yeah. what that story is speaking to. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just not Lived my... experience is so important oh, when it 100%. comes to those things. Uh, anyway, I say like I never got to see Iota do it all those years ago yeah. and I would love to have so I hope that they bring it back with Iota. Yeah, wouldn't that be good? Yeah. Yeah, wow. That was great. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. Uh, my spotlight today is in the spirit of my musical. Excellent. So I want to talk about Brian Stokes Mitchell. <gasps> Mm. One of those names that we've actually mentioned so many times yes. on this podcast. He's just a sensational human, Yeah, I think. Um, he's been a leading man on Broadway since the 90s. He's been nominated for, for four Tony Awards, my God, um, winning one for his performance in Kiss Me Kate as Patricio, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as having like one of the most beautiful baritone voices in existence. Insane. Insane. He's also just like an incredible charitable and philanthropic <laughs> person. Yeah. 
Um, he's been the chairman of the board of the American Actors Fund since 2004. Wow. Yeah, and in 2016 he won the Isabel Stevenson Award for his commitment to supporting members of the entertainment community in crisis or transition through his work with the Actors Fund. Wow. So that's like a non-competitive award at, as at part the of Tony the Tony Awards, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's technically sort of like won two Tony yeah. Awards, I suppose, because he won a Tony for Kiss Me Kate. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, this 2016 award. But, yeah, I was surprised that he was still on the board for the Actors yeah, Fund because that's, that's been amazing. a huge long stretch. Yeah. But he's just so good. And, like, we've talked about him so often, but because I've been listening to Ragtime all week, so that's my musical, and I'm just realising, like, he is such a presence. Oh, yeah. Such a voice. Yeah. And, yeah, he does – he's obviously incredibly charitable, but, like, a proper star on yeah. Broadway. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. my mum's age too. Yeah. It's like 63. Oh, he's looking good for 63 as yeah, well. Yeah, so it was only when it was only when I went to cuz I have always sort of had a crush on him and I was like looking at pictures of him online as you do. And then I went to his wiki page and saw that he was my mum's age. I felt a little bit like, "Ooh. <laughs> oh. Stop. <laughs> stop what you're doing." Did you see the videos of him like during COVID when he would um Well, he got sing? COVID. Well, that's right. And then he would sing like for he would sing Impossible Dream, right? Like there was this whole thing yes. in New York like during sort of the early days of quarantine where like people, people singing, would like yeah. and clap at 7 o'clock every day like yeah. for the healthcare workers. Clap for health- well, he would like sing on his veranda. Yeah. Or whatever He'd sort of o- open America. up his window like he's, he lives in the like in midtown Manhattan or whatever yeah. and just sing out. But, yeah, he, caught, he contracted COVID like in March or April this year. Wow. And, yeah, then afterwards, like, after he recovered, he, like, made a commitment to really honour healthcare workers. Yeah. And he was really instrumental ah, in that sort okay. of movement. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't realise he got COVID. No, well, I think, I mean, a lot of Broadway performers did, a to lot. be honest. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like entire swaths of different casts. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course, right? You're very close. Yeah. Um, what's our theatre explained today, Ruth? This week we're talking about legs. Oh, really? Yes. You've got some nice legs. Thank you, darling. Thank you. As do you. Oh, thank you. Um, I might let you start mm. and I'll bump in. Bump you were in. so cute this week because you were like, what do you mean by yeah, legs? Yeah, can you define exactly what you mean by legs, Josephine? So we have a spreadsheet, of course, of like what what number episode we're up to and like what uh, what musicals we're each covering and I I'm the one who inputs what our theatre explained topic will yeah. be every week. So I've put this one in and Ruth was like, what do you mean by legs? <laughs> so we talked about this when we are talking about break a leg because legs are actually technically just the curtains on the side of a stage, usually in a pros arch, that they're literally like actors' wings for actors to yeah. enter and exit the stage. Yeah. So you will have usually on a fly line curtains or they can they can be flats as well. Yeah. That basically act as your wings. But the legs make the wings, right? The legs like the make legs the are wings. the physical That's right. So they're the actual pieces. like like say black curtains on the side of the stage where the actors will enter from behind and then exit behind as yeah. well. And so to break a leg, as Ruth mentioned in that episode, is like if you go past the leg line is where like the audience will see you. So when you stand behind the legs, there's a period of time where you are not visible to the audience until you step forward and then yeah. you're suddenly visible, Yeah, which are like those are sight lines. And, and in the, that was one of the ones that they thought might have been a, a, a meaning but wasn't, right? Yeah, they yeah. thought like, oh, that, that would make sense. There was sense, a bunch of things not. we talked about that were yeah. possible meanings but actually weren't. Yeah, yeah, but like I think it's interesting because legs is only really, it's not a term that you hear if you're not in like actually doing theatre. Yeah. You don't hear that term often. Exactly. But they're always like curtains that are not used for any other purpose yeah. than to just sort of be the beginning of the wings. I sort of feel, yeah, I sort of feel like people use wings when they kind of mean the they area mean, but also that kind of encompasses it. Yeah. Yeah. And like not all theatres have legs. It's, yeah. It's almost always a prosarch theatre and theatres with multiple fly lines because you have sort of multiple legs. Yeah. And they're generally always black curtains. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. I sort of read that it's it's also just about blocking light, right? Like so that Precisely. it becomes a, a black box on the stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's also like when you're looking at the techniques of, of putting on a show and of actually staging a show, there are a lot of sight lines. Like you have to consider a lot of people in the audience and what they can see on stage. Yeah. So legs become really important for you to be able to actually do things backstage without the audience seeing mm. or you like wrecking the magic. Yeah. So legs are really important for that. Yeah, And absolutely. so that might be why some theatres have lots of legs is to like block what the audience sees behind yep. the scenes. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is usually a lot of really boring, like... What do we hear, like, every kid hears? If you can see the audience, they can see you. If you can see the audience, they can see you. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Get behind the legs. That's right. That's been Theatre Explained. Do you have any recommendations this week? I do. Oh, my God. It came out today in our world. So not today in your world, dear listener, but um, the fates from Town, made up of Jewel Blackman, Yvette Gonzalez-Nesa and Kay Trinidad have released a Christmas album. It's so good. I've been listening to it all day. Oh, my God. You did? Yeah. So I texted Ruth this morning and I was like, fucking listen to this right now. It's called If the Fates Allow. And it's a Christmas album that is well, just... Well, it's a holiday. There's a Hanukkah song on there. I know. And yeah. it's completely in the style of Hades the, Town. The close harmony, yeah. The same, And the same sort of ragtime band, so the same sort of instrumentation. Anais Mitchell was involved in it. The orchestrator of Hades Town was involved in the making of it. It is so beautiful. And those three, the, the women who play the fates are just so beautiful. Yeah. And I hate Christmas but this album has made me sort of like not hate Christmas. That's amazing. So and I like recommend the, I think that. It, so I think it is. I think it's the Hades Town Band and I think like most of the cast is in yeah. it Yeah. Well, well, like so it's that those three women are the main, but then yeah. there are most songs like a whole ensemble sort of comes in yeah. behind them. And it's just this, it's just like, it's like you came and saw Hades Town and then at the end of the show they just sang a couple of Christmas yeah. songs because it's like it's not a separate entity. It's part of the Hades Town yeah. canon now. I'm so glad you listened to it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you did. All day today. So that's on Spotify. It's called If the Fates Allow. I highly recommend it. Excellent. Ruth, what's yours? Um, I have a couple of YouTube clips. Some some one a classic, one a new one that I hadn't seen before. Okay. Um, but I stumbled upon this week. And actually it's got like over two million views on YouTube, so like a lot of people listening will have seen it. Yeah. Um it's called The Song in Every Musical That No One Likes. Oh my god. And the woman um who performs it is. Is called... it just all of rent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so mean. Yeah. Um, is called Sarah Smallwood Parsons. It's on her. Um, it's on her YouTube channel, and I will link to it. But it's basically like parodying, like you know, like the old man or like sentimental man in Wicked, or you know, mm. those songs where it's like this probably um, middle-aged to older man and they come out. It's just to kind of teach you a lesson about something, but no one really cares about the song Stop or the character. Stop fucking mansplaining to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's dressed as like a little old man when she sings it. And it's awesome. very good. Like I don't really like parody songs as such, but this I is a, this, this is, right now. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have to watch it again like when we finish recording. It's really great. Um, and my other one is a classic. I've loved this clip for years and I was reminded of its existence this week. And it's one of these ones that I will post every now and then. It is um, it is the Cumin and Diamond song, Deaf Ass Musical Theatre Gangster Jam. Oh, yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I yeah. haven't watched that in years. In years. So the guy who performs it in this clip that I'm linking to, his name's Anderson Davis. And, I mean, it was posted on YouTube probably 10 years ago. So the references are, like, not as current, but yeah. the references are so good. My favourite lyric in the song is, kiss my Norbert Leo butts, suck my dick Van Dyke. Oh, my God. And, like, it's there's all these, like, there's these two backup like female backup singers and they do all these kind of little asides. And I've completely forgotten about it's this. It's so good. So okay. good. Anyway, I was just reminded of his existence. It's one of my favourite sort of musical theatre YouTube videos. So That's awesome. please go and watch that. Oh, such recommendations. Yish. Yay us. Should we uh, talk, do you about talk about musicals? some shows? You're first. No. Shut up. Are you serious? You're, you're first 50% of the time. It's happening. Okay. Hello, everyone. I would Next like to week talk to she's going to be like, you're always first. How about when it's my turn, you let me speak? <laughs> She's such a bitch, guys. <laughs> All right, everyone, I want to talk to you about ragtime. Yes. Cue ding for me. <laughs> you know, Andrew hasn't left out my percussion. Oh, he is tired today. So I'm, I'm like stuck behind this microphone. Ding. I can't. I can see my percussion, but it's too far away. Oh no. <laughs> so I can't even. I can't percuss. No. Ragtime. What do you reckon? Oh, I love this show. How much do you love it? Like to the point where I was like, I've left ragtime for you to do, Josephine. Like so, like it was yes. a noble act. I was actually thinking of that this week. I was thinking like, why did she leave it for me? Because we would have really fought over this one, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was it was a noble act that I left it for you. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. You know, it's interesting. I actually can't trace where this came into my life. Oh, interesting. And it's it's now been a – so, like, ever since I put it on our list, which is, like, months ago, I've been, like, racking my brain yeah. and I cannot figure it out. 
Yeah. But all I know is that thank fuck this exists in the world because it is such a beautiful piece of theatre. Yeah. I I couldn't really tell you when no. I first heard it either. I it know wasn't that one that we listened to when we were no, teenagers. No, that's right. I do know because it doesn't – I mean it doesn't get done in Australia no. really. Like that production company production last year or beginning of this year? Anyway. Last year, yeah. Last year, which I wanted to see so badly and it just didn't work out timing was. I was going to go to Melbourne and see it. Yeah, there was a production in Melbourne last year yeah. for everyone who's and, um, yeah, confused. And basically – uh, yeah, but I don't know when I really got introduced to mm. it. I know that the Tony Awards performance yeah. was one that I've always loved. Yeah, I think for me it was the same sort of thing. It was like I'd heard some of the songs and yeah. then like I, I I probably went to seek it out myself. Yeah. Like I think that's what like had happened. Like back to before gets done. Like there are songs in it that yes. get, get done kind yeah. of thing. But I wouldn't say like I wouldn't say that the general musical theatre sort of like general fan would know it. No, I think we're a, a I think we're a little bit too young for it in that sense, yeah, right? I think like, that's fair. like I think that musical theatre nerds, our, yeah. you know, five ten years older than us would have been well into it. Yeah, I think that's probably really yeah. true. Okay, so ragtime. Like I said, I just don't know how this came into being in my life. Um, I think it's fairly recently in my world. Yeah. You're like the entire piece, I mean, like I probably knew individual songs quite a long time ago, but I think the entire piece is just like sort of new to me. Yeah. It's actually stylistically quite similar to Susicle. Oh. Um, just in terms of the style of the music and the orchestrations. Definitely not the subject matter or the no. target audience, And I guess obviously. the way that there's lots of stories being told That's as well. it. So the more I sort of dug into it this week, and this is me me talking, I haven't got this from someone else, but I think it is quite similar to Susicle in a way that there are so, – sorry, this is by um, Arons and Flaherty. So yeah. the same composers as Susicle and Once on this Island, but like – I don't think any of their other shows are similar to it, mm. for example. Um, I think this show is just a little too convoluted. Okay. I, but I'm discovering that actually maybe I love that about musicals. Mm. So, like, most audiences I think would struggle with maybe how convoluted the story is, but I love it. Yeah. And also the score is a triumph. Yeah. Okay, so background. The music is, it's like it's Aaron's and Flaherty as we've talked about. It's based on the 1975 E.L. Doctorow novel of the same name. So the novel's a work of historical fiction. It's set in New York between the years of 1902 and 1912 and the plot is complicated so I'm going to super oversimplify it. Yeah. Like I, I actually tried to write out, I tried to write out a summary and it turned into like three paragraphs. Yeah. Because, as you know, it's just so full Yes, on. there's a lot of story. There's a lot. So here's all I'm going to say. The musical's focus is three main groups in the turn of the century in New York. So there's a group of African-American people, there's a group of upper-class sort of white people who live in, like, suburbia, and there's a group of Eastern Europe European immigrants who are all seeking the elusive American dream. Yeah. It's a proper epic, and during the story all three groups of people intertwine yeah. in some way. Um, the show also features actual historical characters who are influential and important at the time. Um, for me, the major theme of the show is is extreme racism and it's so devastating. Yeah. Like without going into too much detail, like quite a few of the characters you grow to love die yeah. and sort of like the people you expect to triumph do because they're white and they're upper middle class or whatever, but also there is there is this underlying message of like we're all struggling to find our feet in this sort of new newish country. Yeah. And I like I would love to go into detail about all the intricate plots, but they're too intricate, yeah. I think. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. It's just too much. So anyway... This is Aaron's and Flaherty's fourth musical after Lucky Stiff, Once on This Island and My Favourite Year. Okay. They had composed the music for the film Anastasia and then they spent quite a bit of time developing ragtime after okay. Anastasia. Mm. So it's the early 90s, yeah. painting your picture. Garth Jabrinsky's production company Livent became quite a presence on Broadway. Indeed. So we're in the Livent years, yeah. everyone. We've talked about live event before and just like what a clusterfuck it was. Let's just dig a little deeper. So Drabinsky obtained the rights to the novel Ragtime on the proviso that Doctoro retained like approval rights over the creative team because he hadn't been happy with – there had been like a film 
film version, I think in the early 80s, it was 1981, there'd been a film of Ragtime that he wasn't happy with. Right. So he had given, he'd like allowed Doc, um, Drabinsky the rights just on the proviso that he would have final say. Yeah. Drabinsky then involved Terence McNally um, to write the book. Who, by the way, RIP. I know, I yeah. know. I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. But, yes, very sad. So, yeah, Terence McNally wrote the book and then Doctoro, like, approved his treatment of the novel. So as far as I can tell, the timeline is like Terence McNally wrote just like a short treatment mm-hmm. before he wrote the entire thing and, and um, Doctoro was like, great, go ahead, right. off you go. So then Garth Dabrinsky, I'm struggling to say his name, anyway, had previously worked with Hal Prince on Kiss of the Spider Woman and the revival of Showboat, like that really showy revival yep. in the early 90s, and asked him for some recommendations on composers for ragtime, potential composers. Halprint suggested that he have a, like a range of composers audition for the job. So Halprint was like, just just find like a, a select couple of composers yep. and ask them to like put forward a proposal. Yeah. So then Drabinsky actually sent several writers a copy of McNally's treatment and some money and asked them to send him their takes on the material and it sort of became like a competition mm. for the job. Which does happen every now and then with yeah. musical theatre, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not super common, mm. but it feels like it has happened yeah. before. Like yeah, like I think Legally Blonde was – like there yes. are musicals that, yeah. That have that. Yeah. So Aaron's and Flaherty wrote and recorded four songs for like as a bid and sent them in to Drabinsky. Then Garth Drabinsky just said they were head and shoulders above the other competition. And, in fact, so – Neither Garth Drabinsky or Aaron's and Flaherty know who the other competitors were. Like, so uh-huh. we don't know who else sort of had pitched yeah. for the show. Um, Doctoro and McNally agreed. Um, that was in 1994. And over the next three years, they worked to create the show. There were quite a few changes made, like, in its sort of multiple tryouts before it appeared on Broadway. So then it premiered in Toronto in December 1996. And it moved to the Schubert Theatre in L.A. in 1997. From L.A. it went to Broadway and it opened at what is now the Lyric Theatre on Broadway in 1998. It was directed by Frank Galati and it starred a, what I think is a near-perfect cast of Brian Stokes Mitchell, Audra McDonald, Marin Mazzi and Peter Friedman. The only blight on this cast, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, is Leah Michelle. Yeah, I knew that where that was going. <laughs> A very young Leah Michelle. Yeah, but still, why? Like, was she 11 or something? But there are other children <laughs> is all I'm saying. But, like, what a cast. Yeah, insane. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, so it closed. So that was in, what was that, 1998. It closed in, that can't be right. I've written 2006. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> that is definitely not wrong. I think it closed two years after that. Yeah. After... I think I would say 2000, after 834 performances and 27 previews. Right, okay. So like a pretty solid run, but reviews were quite mixed. There were definite problems in the script and the production itself was like by all accounts massively over the top. Yeah. Just like full on. So it had a $10 million budget that included a working Model T car for um, the character of Colehouse Walker Insane. Jr. And actual fireworks as part of the production. Yeah. So, like, just a huge fucking budget. Yeah. However, the show did receive 13 Tony nominations, which actually, it was the same year as Lion King. Ragtime wow. got more nominations than Lion King. So, Lion King got 11 nominations that year. Ragtime got 13. Um, the Lion King, of course, as we know, won Best Musical that year and beat Ragtime out in most of the technical like yeah. categories. Um, but by all accounts, it was actually a really tight contest. So, yeah. like a lot of a lot of reviewers at the time talked about how that was like the tightest Tonys mm. because like Ragtime was just so competitive yeah. to Lion King, which is interesting. So it won Best Featured Actress for Audra McDonald, Best Original Score, Best Book, and Best Orchestrations. It didn't recover its money, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, like it was quite a flop. Because I was going to say it's interesting that it ran so long because the lyric is where Harry Potter is now. Yeah. And that is a big theatre. That's it's actually where I saw theater. Young Frankenstein, which is yes. my first Broadway show. And, yeah. like, it's sort of, yeah, known as being one of the bigger. Yeah, gigantic. Yeah. So 
I don't think it was that um, like the the audience, like there wasn't a full crowd every night. It's that the budget for the show so and the massive. show itself was yeah. huge. Like it's it's not just that there were like huge sets, huge costumes and it's historical which adds a lot of complexity but it's a huge cast, mm. huge orchestra. Like it's just a big show. Well, and like I'm sure you will talk about Garth Rubinsky a whole lot but one of the things that I think I've heard is that he used to just pay people insane amount. Like yes. he just would sort of like throw cash at people basically. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to talk about that. So like a lot of people think because Ragtime didn't recover its money and the fact that the, it was a really lavish production and it was huge financial loss, it was pretty much the device of live end. Mm. But by all accounts, like you say, Garth Drabinsky just really was flashing money around in the yeah. 90s, like, yeah. like nobody's business. Yeah. And so his previous shows, like I mentioned, Kiss of the Spider Woman and the revival of Showboat were just huge, like, spectacles yeah so just so much money had been sunk into yeah. those shows um it's probably fair like live event went bankrupt the same year as ragtime closed okay so i think it's fair to actually attribute that at least with the with the tipping of the iceberg yeah, do you know yeah. what i mean garth drabinsky actually went to jail for five years for defrauding his investors yeah as we've talked about. So, like, it was a huge big deal because for a while there, Livent was, like, the biggest production company on Broadway. Mm -hmm. It was a very, very short time, like the early 90s, but he was, like, it was a pretty major player. Yeah. And then, boom, for jail, off he goes. Um, Okay, so the show opened on the West End for a limited three-month run in 2003 that was quite successful, but then there was sort of no productions for quite a while. Right. So then in 2009, a Broadway revival at the Neil Simon Theatre happened, and this was actually the first Broadway revival of a 90s musical. Oh. Yeah. Like, at yeah. the time, it was the first time a 90s musical had been revived. Yeah, and it received wide critical acclaim, but it didn't run for very long. It just had 65 performances and 28 previews. Oh, yeah, that's that's like quite a flop. Yeah, and once again, it just couldn't recover its money. Yeah. The size of the cast and the orchestra, I think, means the show is just quite expensive to run. Yes, exactly. Like, just regardless. Yeah. And, like, the reviews of that revival are really positive. Yeah. So, I mean... The Neil Simon Theatre also is quite a large theatre, mm. but anyway, it's had some productions in other countries. There was one in Australia last year in Melbourne. There was a Norwegian run and quite a few regional tours in the States and the UK, plus um, the revival that you saw, Ruth, yeah. in London at the Charing Cross Theatre in 2016, which was a super limited run of only three months, but yeah. it got great reviews yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and that was an incredibly stripped-back production. Yeah, so like tell very, us about it. Very little set. Yeah. Um, so my story about that production is like um, our friend Gareth was over visiting me. It was when I was living in London that I saw it. And so we were seeing quite a few shows while he was over visiting and we ended up seeing that and the London, like the other palace production of last, last five, five years, years on the same day. Such a which mistake. I would not recommend doing those two incredibly emotionally heavy shows all in one day. Yeah, so like I know I haven't talked about the plot of Ragtime because it's really difficult to discuss, but it is heavy. Heavy, yeah. It's so heavy. It's like we're talking turn of the century, like before World War One. heavy struggles Everyone's just having a struggle. Like yeah. a lot of black people die. Like yeah. it's just full fucking on. So I've never seen like a fully fledged production of this. Yeah. That's the only production I've seen. But I will say that like I, I had no problem understanding it and yeah. like I hadn't seen it before and I hadn't even really – I wouldn't say I – before that production, I was at the stage of listening to the cast recording obsessively. Even like that's mm. definitely come in like the th- four years since. Mm. But yeah, it was uh, there was no problem. It made me just curious about a lot of the real historical figures yes. in it. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it was really good. I think it was a smaller cast as well. Like I think it was a fairly and it definitely would have been a smaller orchestra because yes. that theater's tiny. Yes. Yeah. So actually, when I say that, I think the problems with the show are that it's quite a convoluted. Um, story is not necessarily that I think there are problems with the book because mm. I think it's actually for the for the amount of like characters in the story it's very well done yeah but like you can't do this show unless you have a fuck ton of people yeah and I think that's the problem with it like there's just literally lots of characters there's just so many yeah. characters and so, like but I just wish like maybe Terence McNally is a genius in that he can write a book that is quite convoluted. Yeah. And, like, we've talked about a lot of musicals that have really clunky books that need work, and this is an example of one that could have gone so badly. Yes, Do you know absolutely. what I mean? Like, it could have been a disaster because it is quite – as well, it's like there's a lot of narration in the story and there's lot, there's so many characters and they all have quite large roles, like – 
There's do, just a lot happening. Do you think this is Aronson Flaherty's best show? Definitely. So I do too. Without and a doubt. I think that that's a big part of it, having someone like Terence McNally do the book. Yes, I agree. Because we've when talked about. When you compare about, that to Susical, for and, example. And Once on This Island, yeah. where, um, yeah, there was no. Yeah, in both cases, yeah. they wrote it themselves. Yeah. And so. But this was like. Yes, so well written. Yes. Just so well. It's by far, like I think sh- like head and shoulders above the yes, other shows. Yes, I agree. I agree. And not that you, I mean, you and I have connections with the others for other reasons, but this one is is a beautiful work. And it, as a, the more I was listening to it and, and thinking about it this week, the more I think like this show belongs in my top five. Mm. It really does. Yeah, interesting. In terms of just its beauty. Yeah. So it's, And it's just such a kind of, I always go back to the word glorious when it's I think glorious. about it because it is a glorious piece of theatre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, so I actually think that this show would be spectacular as a concert. Yeah. Um, which may also help keep the cost down of like the major yeah. problems with running the show. There have been quite a few notable concert versions, including a one night only concert at the Lincoln Center in 2013, and that one starred Leah Salonga as a, as mother, okay, and Norm Lewis as Col- Colehouse Walker Jr. Oh yeah, yeah. Who would also sing the shit out of that role? Oh yeah. yes, correct. Like Norm Lewis and Brian Stokes Mitchell have obviously like had sort of similar paths similar sort of roles, and, yeah, similar. Um, in that they're like a similar range of voice. Um, they're even like Norm Lewis would be younger, but not by much. Not by right? much. He'd be yeah. in his fifties probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But like similar, lovely baritone timbre. Anyway, so there was a concert benefiting the Actors Fund that was scheduled for April 2020, including many of the original cast. So like Brian Stokes Mitchell, Audra McDonald, Kelly O'Hara was going to play the role of mother, as Marin Mazzi very sadly passed away in 2018 so of ovarian cancer, yeah. I believe. Um, however, this this concert's been postponed indefinitely due to COVID. Sadly, too, the original librettist, Terence McNally, as we've discussed, passed away in March this year after contractive COVID. Yeah. So that's really Yeah, sad. you've just reminded me, but I was going to be there. And I, oh, hadn't, I hadn't booked a ticket, but I was on, like, a waiting list. Oh, my God. Yeah. Imagine. Because, that, like, that cast. And, I mean, Mary Mazzi is just such a beautiful performer. So yeah. to lose her is a tragedy. Yeah. But Kelly O'Hara would have been amazing yeah, as yeah, amazing. amazing. Um, but to think like Audra and Bride Sex Mitchell and I can't remember the original um oh what's the character's name? Yeah, the the Jewish father. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, she calls him Tati. I don't know. Tata. If, it's Tata. Ta- yeah. Um yeah, so the actor who originally played Peter Friedman, I think his name is, he was going to come back for that concert. So it was gonna be really like a proper reunion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Such yeah a if you shame. don't know Marin Mazzi, like just look her up on YouTube. She is her she was such singing Losing My Mind yeah, at the at Sondheim 80th. 80th, yeah. Oh my god. She's one of the red dress, like they have all these, you know, beautiful female performers yeah, all like in Audra red dresses. And Elaine Stritch and Patty and Bernadette. Bernadette and Donna Murphy. Donna Murphy, yeah. 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 Oh my god. Like, Marin and they're Mazzi. really considered like again, like, just I, like the I don't Dames feel of like Yeah, like I don't feel like Obviously, people like Patty and Bernadette and Elaine Stritch really kind of cross cultural and worldwide boundaries into the, they're all basically household names, right? Yeah. But I don't feel like it wasn't until I was really older that I really understood how good people like Donna Murphy and Marin Mazzi are that, oh, yeah. that don't get as much recognition. It's funny because I remember when I was really young watching that, well, not, I, can't, I mean, it was like 10 years ago, but and being like, Bernadette's everything, but now the older I am, I think Marin Mazzi and Donna Murphy just deserve to be there. Yeah, like they are so definitely. And, I mean, Audra McDonald, I think, is also up on the level yeah. of the others. But like those women together are just all time. Yeah, all time. Like watch any of the clips of any of that red dress, like the circle of Segment, red dress. Yeah. Oh my god, incredible! And they're so all just good. like supporting each other. And in fact. So you watch Marin Mazzi do Losing My Mind and yeah. it's just so stunning. But then you watch Bernadette Peters do Not A Day Goes By, which is my favourite YouTube clip of all time. Yeah. And Marin Mazzi's face in the background of that entire clip, she's yeah. just loving on Bernadette yeah. Peters and it's just magnificent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible. That whole, you know, I watched um, after I, because I was watching Marin Mazzi this week and then I watched the, um, I watched Chip Zine and Joanna Gleason do It Takes Two. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Anyway. It makes me cry. 
Back to ragtime. So the orchestrations, which won a Tony Award, are just sexy as. Yeah. It's a 26-piece orchestra, so huge. It's made up of mainly traditional orchestral instruments, lots of woodwind and brass, but also like typical ragtime instruments. So oh. you've got like a banjo, double yeah. bass, drums, etc. You can listen to the original studio cast album, which was recorded in 1996 and features most of the original Broadway cast and like a select number of songs from the show. But there's also the original Broadway cast recording, which is perfect. Yes. What a cast. Yeah. And it's got everything in it. Yeah. Like it's, it's so the show's not um, through sung, but it pretty much is. Basically, like it's yeah. very close yeah. to through sung. Honestly, actually, this musical needs to be heard to be believed. Like yeah. I think it is, it's just so beautiful. You need to listen to the entire thing. And this was my hardest gateway I've ever done. Mm. So choosing the gateway songs for this musical, hardest. Yeah. Um, here's, my, okay. here's my take. Give it a go. I'd actually like to hear what you think. Yeah. Number one, I think you need to listen to the prologue. Yeah. It's a really great starting point. Yeah. It's banging. I love the ragtime motif. Like you can hear that amazing ragtime piano. There's a beautiful descending bass line. They introduce the characters. It's just a perfect starting point. Next, I think you need to listen to new music. Oh. So it's a really beautiful ensemble number. It's when Cole House Walker first plays ragtime for the upper class folk. Like he comes into the house and it's like, oh, my God, what is this music? And everyone sings in it and it's awesome. And then I think your last gateway should be Back to Before. Okay. Which is just the beautiful Marin Mazzi singing this heartbreaking song. Yeah. I mean, we've mentioned songs like Wheels of a Dream before. We've mentioned Daddy's Son before. Like, But I could have honestly written this list seven times over. Yeah, and like Till We Reach That Day, oh. which ends the first act. Yeah. Like Amazing. There's, um, yeah, like I – Make them hear you. Make them hear you, which we've talked about in a mixtape as yeah. well. Like It's really this, hard. It's actually really, really difficult. Yeah. And I think uh, what I think about this musical is that you'll listen to the entire cast recording and you will you will fixate on a song and it will be completely different from any that we've just yeah. mentioned. Like something will really resonate with you because that's just the way this show is written. But it will resonate with you in I, some way. I'm sure you've listened to this, but there's also like jo- there's this podcast that Josephine and I love called Criminal. Yeah. And there's a couple of episodes on, um, you know, there's the song Crime of the Century yes. in this, that 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 yes. real case. So that's the, um, the actress Evelyn Nesbitt. That's it. I couldn't think of her, her name. Her husband famously like in a restaurant murdered her lover. Yes. And it was like the crime of the century. Yeah. 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 It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. So she's a character in Ragtime mm, and there's yeah. a song about it. Yeah. Because it was and a really big anyway, deal. Anyway, if you are interested in that case, there's some great criminal episodes about that case. Also like sidebar recommendation, Phoebe Judge and Criminal. Hi. Ah, I'm Phoebe Judge. I'm Phoebe Judge. And this, this is Criminal. It's <laughs> such a good show. So good. Awesome. That's Ragtime. And oh. It's, I feel actually like, I feel cheap that I've left it this long. Yeah. Because it is so Well, sometimes, like, I don't know if you've found this, but I've certainly found that you just forget how much you love a show until you're immersing yourself in it. Yeah. 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 That's definitely happened to me in other weeks. Uh, And actually others, there are other weeks and maybe I haven't fessed up where I've, I've immersed myself in the musical and been like, this isn't as good as I thought it was. So that was you with, I'm going to guess, Spring Awakening? 100%. Yeah, I don't know what – that was definitely the vibe I got with that show. 100%. Yeah. But this show I was more like, oh, why have I been yeah, neglecting this this out. whole time? I mean, that was me last week with falsettos. Like, oh, yes. I was Yeah, you were I was like, oh, my God. Vibe. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Do you want to tell me about a musical? I do. I do. What is so, it? So this week I'm going to talk about – Chicago. Oh. Hmm. What What are your thoughts? Well, they're vanilla. Okay. You much prefer cabaret. Cabaret is head and shoulders above this show as Kendra and Ebb's best, in my opinion. I think cabaret is, like, good. Yep. I don't connect with it on any level. Chicago, not cabaret. Sorry, Chicago. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. So there are. <laughs> okay. Cool. Shut up. <laughs> so there are incredibly few shows that we'll discuss that I've actually been in and Ooh. especially played a lead in since, like, that's just not really what I do. You but are also banging in this thank role. Thank you. But I was um, Matron Mama Morta, Matron Mama, Matron Mama <laughs> Morton in our community theatre production of this in 2017, um, and it was a dream role of mine, so I was stoked to do it at the time. 
Um, it is also the second show I ever saw on the West End. Uh, we may have even discussed this. So the first I saw was Starlight Express, as we talked about that I mentioned that I was 11 when I saw that. Yes. This was a trip when I went to the UK when I just turned 16 and um, we flew into Heathrow and there were these big posters everywhere saying Ruthie is back in big letters because the queen, Ruthie Henshaw, had returned to the cast. So um, we've talked about this poster before. Yes, because I had like a, I like had got a bunch of, yeah, I had like all these flyers and stuff. I just like got them from places because they said Ruthie is back and that's my name. So um, I got to see her play Velma and she was incredible as I'm Ruthie sure you Henshall can imagine. Ruthie Henshaw is like a uh, queen. Queen. That queen. voice. Yeah. Do you think, like, if she was, say, a young performer now, she just wouldn't, like, we wouldn't know her because that voice is so unique. Mm, yeah, like, although she's such not... a triple threat. Oh. To me, she's a bit like Sutton Foster in that way. She, I think, so we've talked about that. We've yeah. talked about the fact that her and Sutton Foster, because there are there are just no other performers I can think of who could play, say, Velma and also Fontaine. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's an You're insane right. crossover. It's so specific. It's that, like, you cannot tell me anyone else yeah. who could do that. My other Chicago connection, which I've just remembered, is that um, in year 12, when we were, for English, we did, um, like, I can't remember what they called the topic, but it was, like, truth, I think was the actual, what they called the topic. And so we did, like, Frontline. name. That we did Frontline, Frontline the old like Frontline. ABC satirical news show yeah. and different things. And Sitch, one of my Sitch. main um, like uh, references was the musical Chicago because it's all about like, you know, razzle dazzle and bending the truth. I and... literally did the same unit of work as did you. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so Ch- Chicago was one of my big like sources that I used in my essays. That's of cool. course, because I'm a nerd. You're a nerd. So, um, music by John Kander, lyrics by Fred Ebb and book by Fred Ebb and Bob Fosse. So this is 10 years post Cabaret and quite a few years post Fosse doing Pippin and Sweet Charity. You've got to watch Fosse Verdon for the the journey of getting Chicago up. It is incredible. So, um, the entire team is very much established in their careers at this point. Like this is not early on, you know? So it is based on a 1926 play of the same name by reporter Maureen Dallas Watkins. The play is a satire and was based on two unrelated 1924 court cases involving two women, Beulah Annan and Belva Gardner, who were both suspected and later acquitted of murder, whom Watkins had covered for the Chicago Tribune as a reporter. Fascinating. I know. Like, I don't think I really knew that. I think I knew it, but very much on the periphery. Yeah. I'm going to talk more about it as well, but it's like, yeah, it's really interesting. That is very interesting. So synopsis. So our two leads are Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart. Velma Kelly is a vaudeville star who is currently in prison awaiting trial for murdering her husband and sister who were having an affair. As the show begins, we see Roxy, a wannabe starlet who ends up killing her lover after a fight. She gets her husband Amos to cover for her, pretending um, her lover was a burglar and it was self-defense. Her story unravels and she's arrested for the murder. In prison, Roxy discovers that Velma Starr has only grown from the murder and she wants the same for herself. She convinces her husband Amos to pay for Velma's lawyer, Billy Flynn, who's the best in town at building a media circus surrounding his clients and treating the whole trial like it's a show. (laughs) Roxy has stolen all of Velma's limelight in jail and, in fact, steals her entire act that she has planned to do at the trial. In the end, Billy Flynn gets both Roxy and Velma acquitted of their crimes, but, of course, as soon as the trial is done, the public has already moved on to the next sensational crime realizing they need each other for the fame they so desperately crave the two pair up for a vaudeville double act and become stars together it's the most preposterous yeah but also kind of not yeah you know like yes but people are trash anyway yeah people are trash so the show opened on um june 3rd 1975 at the 46th 46th Street Theatre, which is now the Richard Rogers. Yeah, nice. And ran for a total of 936 performances, closing on August 27th, 1977. Wow. In my head it was like earlier than that. Yeah, right. Mm. Then the 70s. Yeah. Mm, Interesting. It starred Cheetah Rivera, Gwen Verdon and Jerry Orbach. What Um, a cast. Right. It received mixed reviews and was not generally considered to be a big success. (laughs) The original Broadway cast was nominated for 11 Tony Awards at the 1976 Tonys. It doesn't win a single one. You may well remember what show swept the awards that year. What year are we talking? 1976. Is that Chorus Line? 
Yes. So the nominees for Best Musical were Chicago, Pacific Overtures, Bubbling Brown Sugar and A Chorus Line. Of course. Yeah. Um, In London, it opens at the Cambridge Theatre in April 1979 and ran for around 600 performances. But, okay, it's really the revivals where the show truly becomes a hit. What's fascinating is how the show actually was so different originally than what it became, what we know now. Well, and they say that it was just too kind of satirical for people in the 70s. They just didn't get it kind of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, so we've discussed the City Centre Encores a few times who do concert productions of previous Broadway shows. So Chicago was presented at Encores in May 1996. Anne Reinking does the choreography in the style of Bob Fosse. That's how it's credited. Yeah. Um, And she also plays Roxy in that production. Nice. It also stars B.B. Newworth and Joel Grey, uh, Joel Grey as Amos. Um, it gets good reviews and there's immediately talk of it moving to Broadway. Joel Grey as Amos is an excellent Yeah, right? Excellent Incredible. casting choice. Yeah. Um, it does so and opens again at the Rigid Rogers Theatre, same theatre, on November 14th, 1996, in a stripped-down production much like the concert production that they'd just done at Encore. Cool. So that was sort of the vibe. Yeah, cool. So this time it gets great reviews. It's nominated for eight Tony Awards at the 1997 Tonys and wins six, which at the time was the record for the most Tonys ever won by a musical revival. Oh, cute. Um, South Pacific, I think, beats that, the, like, Lincoln Centre South Pacific oh, yeah, some yeah. years later. Yeah. So it won Best Revival, Best Director, Choreography, Lighting Design, Best Actress for B.B. Newworth, and Best Featured Actor, Actor for Joel Grey. Nice. So except for right now during the COVID shutdown, the show is still running. Huh. It has moved theatres twice since it opened. Well, yeah, it can't be in the Richard Rogers anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in 1997, it moved to the Schubert Theatre. And since 2003, it's been at the Ambassador Theatre. As of the week of the shutdown, there had been 9,689 performances. It's just so many, man. Yeah. So the revival is the longest-running revival in Broadway history, obviously. Yeah. It is the second-longest-running Broadway show of all time to Phantom. Yes. And it is the longest-running American musical in Broadway history. Oh, wow. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So that revival production then transfers to the West End and opens at the Adelphi Theatre in November 1997. The production won the 1998 Olivier Award for Outstanding Musical and Uta Lempa was awarded Best Actress for her portrayal of Velma. Nice. The London revival also – and by the way, so Ruthie Henshaw played Roxy when it opened uh, um, on the West End. The London revival also changed theatre twice. It was nine years at the Adelphi before transferring to the Cambridge, which is where Matilda is now. Mm. And it ran another five years at the Cambridge and then transferred to the Garrick Theatre where it ran another seven years before closing on September 1st, 2012 after a total run of nearly 15 years. The West End Revival is also the longest-running American musical in West End history. Jeez. Yeah. Um, There was also a a 21st anniversary production in London of the same, like, production at the Phoenix Theatre which ran for just nine months in 2018. So obviously didn't have the staying power this time, unfortunately. Uh, And, of course, there's the film adaptation. So released in 2002 and starring Catherine Zeta-Jones, Renee Zellweger, Richard Gere and Queen Latifah, it was nominated for 13 Oscars Mm. and won six, becoming the first musical to win Best Picture at the Oscars since Oliver in 1968. What did you think of the film? I love the film. I think it's an excellent movie musical. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Not the best, but it's excellent. I think it's the best. Fiddler is the best. (laughs) Okay. Fight me. I think it's the best musical to film adaptation. Fiddler is the best. The, as in the changes that they made for the film compared to the stage show. Fiddler is the best. <laughs> okay, let's fight. <laughs> um, so the film had been in development for many years and, in fact, Bob Fosse had wanted to direct it mm. but died before he was able to get it off the ground. Um, after the revival was so successful, interest was renewed in making a film of it and Rob Marshall was chosen to direct and choreograph. This marked his film directorial debut, having been an established stage director and choreographer, including, of course, the 1998 revival of Cabaret that we've previously discussed. So I'm sure that was like what led to him directly getting it, the fact that he directed that revival of Cabaret. So the film grossed over $300 million worldwide. It was a huge success. It is widely considered, along with Moulin Rouge and 8 Mile, to have ushered in sort of a new wave of, like, musical films. Yeah. Um, Although, honestly, like, none of them have been, I think, either as good or as successful as Chicago. Yeah. In my opinion. I agree with that. I think that that film also stands up now. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I watched and it's it. almost 20 years old. I think I watched it 
when we when I was in it, we yeah. all like got together as a cast and it's watched an the film. film. Yeah. yeah. I think beautifully cast too. Yes, very well done. So I mentioned seeing Ruthie Henshaw in the show when I was 16. She holds the esteem of having played both Roxy and Velma Mm. on both Broadway and the West End. Fuck. She also played Mama Morton in that West End 21st anniversary West End revival that opened in London in 2018. So she's the only person to have done that. Sidebar, I found out doing this research that she dated Prince Edward for two years. No. Yes. Jeez. Isn't that insane? How did he get her? They must have been very young as well because he's been married for a really, really really long long time. time. Yeah. I love her so much. Oh, I love her. And also I think she's currently on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in in the UK at the moment because I sort of Googled her and there was all these like current articles and I was like, wow, Ruthie Henschel's like getting a bunch of press at the moment. And, yeah, she's on I'm a Celebrity. Hilarious. Hilarious. So as I'm sure people are aware, the the Broadway and London revivals are well known for their use of, I will call it, stunt casting. Um, Some notable people who've appeared in the show over the years include Usher, Oh, my God. You just stop me if you want to. I'm just going to list these, okay? Oh, my God. Cuba Gooding Jr., Brooke Shields, Brandy Norwood, Patrick Swayze, Melanie Griffith, Ashley Simpson, Mel B. Ashley Simpson. Yeah, Ashley Simpson. Mel B from the Spice Girls, Christy Brinkley. Oh, my God. David Hasselhoff. Oh, my God. Jerry Springer, Michelle Williams. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Jerry Springer. As Billy Flynn, yeah. Fuck. Um, Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child. Uh, America Ferreira from Ugly Betty and Sofia Vergara from Modern Family, among many, many, many others. Wow. So many. Like, those are just the names that stood out to me, but there's so many. Jeez, it's like a rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah, it it kind of is. Like, there's a few, like, Real Housewives stars who've been in it. Disgusting. Like, NeNe Leakes and... I don't know um, what any of that means. Yeah, anyway. there's There's a couple of those. So some info on the real cases that inspired the original play version of Chicago. So Beulah Annan, who was inspired Roxy, was accused of the April 3, 1924 murder of her lover, Harry Kolstadt. According to the Tribune, she played Hula Lou, a foxtrot record for hours watching him die, and then phoned her husband to claim she just killed a man who tried to make love to her. <laughs> her husband stuck by her as she confessed, then claimed the murder was self-defense. On May 25th, 1924, she was found not guilty. The next day she announced she was leaving her husband and proceeded to marry two more men before her death from tuberculosis in 1928. What a badass. Yeah. Belva Gartner, who inspired Velma, was a multiply divorced cabaret singer and society divorcee. On March 12th, 1924, a body was found slumped over the steering wheel of her car, her lover, Walter Law. There was a bottle of gin and an automatic pistol on the floor of the car. The police found her drunk in her apartment, her blood-stained clothes on the floor, and she said she couldn't remember what had happened. Oh, my God. Two policemen testified they'd seen a woman get into the car and then had heard gunshots. <laughs> on June 6, 1924, Gertner was acquitted. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But also, like, how morally bankrupt is this place? Right? That these people just keep getting acquitted. Yeah. Maybe it's you crazy. need to stay in jail because you're a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Jesus. So the film adaptation. So oh, I did read one thing that it was like it was all male jewelry still. Yeah, of course. And so all these women would get off because it, they were quite like sympathetic. sympathetic yeah. yeah. Um, so the thing that – so I want to talk about the film. Um, so I will continue to argue with you that I think it's maybe the best. Have you seen Fiddler? Yes. You've seen it once? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like don't you think – here's the thing. If Fiddler came out today, do you think it would have been as successful – Yes. Really? Yes. Don't you think, like, the way that, like, attention spans and stuff have changed? You mean Fiddler exactly as it is came out today? Yeah. Well, I don't think that's necessarily fair. Well, we'll see, won't we? (laughs) They're making that new adaptation. Well, that's right. We'll see. We'll see. But I just think that the way that they adapted it for modern audiences was so clever. I think Chicago is excellent. Yeah. It really is. So the thing that they did that I think is so genius was that almost all of the songs were transported to a sort of cabaret or Mm. stage type setting, presumably through Roxy's gaze, Mm. who we are shown just like lives and breathes this like performing lifestyle that she wants to have. It's actually very much like cabaret. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. So this gives all the scenes a sort of grounding in reality where the songs can be over the top production numbers Mm. and it still gels. Like, um, Tay Diggs does very well there. He does, yes. Sweet Tay Diggs. Oh, Tay. Um, It's the transitions between scenes and songs that so many musical films struggle with. Yes, 100%. And this makes it so much more accessible, like, for the average viewer, I think. Yeah, I think so too. 
I also want to talk about the fact that I think that it's a a bit of a shame that because that Broadway revival has been on for so long, that is the only version that we see. Yeah. And that version is an incredibly stripped back production. Mm. So it kind of does a disservice to what a great production of Chicago someone could come up with. But mm. so, you know, we've talked before about replica productions. Like you have to do that production. If you're well, doing a professional, running, yeah. yeah. If you're doing a professional version of Chicago, you license to do that production. I remember seeing the Australian production and this is probably like 10 or 12 years ago yeah. now and being really disappointed. Yeah. Because it is so stripped back. And and that's partly why the stunt casting has happened so often because you can so. just slut slut oh my god you can slot someone in because the band is on stage there's yeah. really not that much staging well, to be honest i mean that happened in the australian production because it was like caroline o'connor was velma yeah sharon miller yep. was roxy and gina riley was, was mama. Mama, mama and i think it was maybe even craig mclaughlin was yeah. billy so like Total stunt casting yeah. there. Not, was, that, not that Caroline Connor and Sharon Milchip wouldn't be awesome. All amazing, yeah. but like a very underwhelming production. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's just like, so for example, that exact production has since come back. It was on, it was on in Australia last year. Yeah. And what I did find with that was that the ensemble were incredible. Well, right? yeah, they've all got like to be the, awesome. They've got to be amazing fossy dancers. Mm. They've got to do all these things. But then for the leads, you really can just kind of like trot out whoever, yeah. Yeah. you know, and not that they weren't great because they were, but yeah. yeah, it was, again, it was, yeah, like Natalie Bassingthwaite and oh, yeah. yeah, you know, like That's right. Alita Ch- Alinta Chinzi, I think her name is, yeah, it was Velma. And like, yeah, they're really talented people, but yeah, yeah it's sort of. It's more just like that. that's a tied interpretation now. That's it. Let's see something like, a little Like let's see fresh. a more, di- and because like, yeah, as I said, the band is on stage, so they take up most of the stage. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually from my memory, and that was a long time ago, there was a tiny little strip of yeah, stage. Yeah, it's barely anything. And the cast are on stage the whole time, yes. like just sitting on chairs at the yes. side. And it's a great idea for a concert production and stuff. Yeah. But like, yeah, when it's. The more I think about it, the more I think the film is actually the best representation of this musical yes. than any stage. So for my gateway songs, I have used versions from the film, to be honest. Because they're excellent. Yeah, also, they're really Richard good. Also, Richard is fucking talented. Yeah, he was great in the film. I thought he was excellent. I think they're all great, really. I agree. Well, I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, same. Same. Actually, and I think it's one of Renee Zellweger's best performances as Definitely. well. Yeah. Um, Definitely. So the – Christine yeah, Baranski is very good in Yes, it. that's Sorry. right. And so, yeah, so I, I do want to mention with the film adaptation, there are things that they've changed which I think make sense. So, for example, that character that Christine Baranski plays, Mary yes. Sunshine, in the stage show is played by a man and it's this kind of um, – like it's sort of a big reveal that they're like it's an incredible like drag performer kind yes. of thing who can sing inc- really like, high. basically like a um like a soprano yeah what's the like a uh, word when the little boy like when the little boys have had their balls cut off and they have that like really high just like a boy soprano, soprano. yeah there's a word for it and I can't think what it is I'm is sorry, it contralto no. no anyway um so yeah so they. Yeah, and so, like, in the show, that's, like, a big reveal mm. and that's the whole thing is, like, they're pretending to be a woman. Um, and Just such an unnecessary gag. Well, it, it's that whole thing of, like, nothing is what it seems, yes. right? Like, everything's a show, nothing is what it seems. Yeah. And that's revealed and then he comes out as a man at the end and does the voiceover for the hot honey rag. Yes. Um, so, like, for example, that's not necessarily in the film, no. right? Like, that's much more a theatrical device. Definitely, yeah. Than it is um, anything else. I liked that in the film they just made the decision to make her just, yeah. a, just a woman. Yeah. yeah. And there were other things that they cut as well that just yeah. didn't need to be there. Like, And I, I, I do think that the film is a really good, yeah. like, yeah translation of it in that sense mm. i do i did see it on broadway maybe in like 2016 yeah and it was very disappointing yeah, like it was just so tired you know you were really good in your production by the Thanks, way darling yeah you it were was excellent fun. as mama thank you that song class is one of my favorite songs yeah from it's the a show. great song great. yeah um, so I'm going to link to, there's a few cast recordings on Spotify. So there's the original Broadway cast, there's the Broadway revival, like that 1996, um, Broadway revival, mm. and there's the film soundtrack. Nice. So I'm going to link to all three of those and then gateway songs. So I've gone for all that jazz and it's the film version. So it's kind of also the overture. Oh, it's excellent. It's sort of the overture into all that jazz, which yeah. is so awesome. Um, cell block tango, of course, is yeah. just a classic, like, yeah. you know, and I, again, I, I've, 
in all three cases I've gone for the film version. I think that that's a great version of that song. I agree. And then I've actually gone for the song Roxy. Yep. Um, so it's kind of like in a way it's like all that jazz is kind of Velma's big song, Roxy is Roxy's big song, yep. and then Till Block Tango obviously represents, you know, the others. I would agree with those three. Yeah. Yep. And Roxy, it's like it's almost like a great monologue really. I it love the great. whole, yeah. Yeah, it's a good insight into her character. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I do love I do love the score of this show. It's very well done. You know, I don't think Kendra and Em have really done a bad score, to no, be fair. It's interesting because they've had such a lot. They had such a long career together. So well, 20 shows, didn't we say? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a lot. But it's sort of interesting that like these two, which are by far their biggest hits, were Cabaret so and early. Chicago, yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah, Cabaret and Chicago are by far their biggest hits. Yeah. You know, Kiss of a Spider Woman I think was relatively successful at the time. But yes. Yeah, it's just sort of interesting yes. that in their later career they, there wasn't those hits that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I really, I do really like Chicago. I think when it's done well, I, I just wish it could be done. You know, I like I wish yes, it could we be. Yes, we had the another, like, I would love to see another professional production of you Chicago. You should probably tell them why we can't see another, like a, while it's on Broadway, while why we're so limited. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like maybe the people don't know. Yeah, so that was what I was saying about the replica production. That's right. Yeah, so basically, yeah, that's the only version, professional version you can do. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's to do with licensing and there are limitations. When when there's a production on Broadway, there are limitations to what you can license. Yeah. So it, like. It's not technically when it's on Broadway, but no, th- there are. But that's like, the situation that's not, with this particular that, yeah, show. Yeah, it's like there are like worldwide licensing agreements that occur when a professional production takes place. Yes. And in this case, that is the only version you're allowed to do. Yeah. And it's a shame because a lot of other shows have sort of multiple versions available yeah. to be licensed and, and or maybe things that are, are allowed to be non-replica. But yeah. Yeah. It is a shame. Yeah. Mm. So that is my wish for – I also think it's great that in a way that like because of COVID, I hope that it really gets – refreshed when it like reopens everything, on Broadway. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, like a lot of these longer-running shows, I really hope that they all get just like yeah. a big boot up the arse. And, 100%. Yeah. Nice. So, that's Chicago. Hey, thanks for that. That's Chicago. Oh. <laughs> Are we talking like this now? <laughs> that's the vibe, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to My Favourite Musical. And uh, please like and subscribe and all that. Yeah, I do all that. Uh, and jazz. We'll <laughs> see, hey, hey. And we'll see you on Thursday for the mixtape. Yeah, the mixtape. The mixtape. All right, bye. Bye.